right, we're real quick, just going to do a couple of announcements. Uh, we've got some folks who are still on the way. Pray for Nicole this morning. She's got a high fever, and so um, it could be COVID. Don't know. She hasn't had a test, so pray for her. And then um, others who may be sick and hurting, who you may know of, we'll pray for them in a moment. And then um, reminders, reminders, it's coming fast. Wednesday of this coming week, starts Vacation Bible School. So you'll be here every night. 6 o'clock. Uh, dinner between 6 and 6.30. Start Vacation Bible School uh, at 6.30. The material is good Bible learning. It's good stuff. And so we will have that, and then we will be promoting it throughout this week. We have lots of contacts, and so even last year, we had a significant group come out from Vacation Bible School. And... And uh, so we should see some growth in that. And then we have a lot of eyes turned toward us right now. And in the inspirational moment time, I'll talk briefly about um, some a gift, basically, that we as the church and the, along with the Life Station has, and Right Now Media have come together to give to all of us and that we can also give. And I'll explain all that during the inspirational moment time. So that's coming. And then on June 28th, which will be here before you know it, that Tuesday night, is the human trafficking event, which means our children's program will go until 8 o'clock that night, and we will be promoting that to have folks come in, and we have a, an undercover officer, detective from Toledo Police Department, who deals with the SBU Crimes Unit, for those of you who know what that is, and, um, and also uh, the director of the Daughter Project, who rescued over the years over 100 young uh, folks, men and women, I think it's just mostly women, actually, I think that back, and yes, it's okay to say women here. Um, but yeah, so women rescued them from uh, human trafficking uh, in traffic. And so we'll hear some stories. I'm sure not too vulgar or anything like that. But there will not be any kids in the room. So in this room, you have no kids. So if you're an adult and you go, I'm not sure if I'm interested in that, please come anyway because we'll need help in here. We'll need help in there. We're going to need security to make sure everything goes smoothly. And so uh, all of us need to be here if at all possible that evening. And, um, and then who knows, we may have 100 people and then this room may be packed out or it may be a relatively small crowd. So we don't know what that's gonna be, but pray for it. And, and really this is the beginning. So we can learn ourselves about what's going on with human trafficking. Toledo is very high in the rankings in human trafficking. It's not a good situation. So it's good to know how to be aware of what might be going on. And that's part of what that event is about. And then on uh, the 4th of July celebration, uh, which, I, which we're right now thinking is Saturday evening, right? Fireworks. They announced it will be Saturday, July Saturday 2nd. Saturday evening, the, the 2nd, we will have our block party on Main Street. Again, that is a big deal. Uh, last year we had about, uh, about 200 folks come out. Um, we will have the dunk tank again, and we're trying to make arrangements for uh, Porta Potty to be over there, which we didn't get to do last year, and we're struggling again this year. It's just a tough time to get a hold of the Porta Potty, obviously. But, um, but anyway, so the hope is that we'll get that done, and... Um, and have a lot of folks come out. We had some salvation decisions there last year, very publicly made. The one guy was very public about his decision, first time decision to follow Christ, and actually came and let me spit in his hand during an object lesson of the sermon, or the mini sermon later, so that was really cool. And um, and his daughter said, well, how would you do that? And she said, because I want everybody, he said, because I, I want everybody to know 100% that I am living for Jesus. And I thought, what a great testimony for him to share that. Only like 10 minutes after he got saved with his daughter, uh, who was like eight or nine years old, so that was really cool. And so we we'll have a good event there uh, on the third, or sorry, the second, on the second of July, and um, 
just a number of great opportunities to come up and get plugged in and get involved, and we're, yeah. we're hoping to bring people in. Yes, ma'am. On VBS for this week, I still need helpers for a lot of the classrooms. We also need help with food. If you're willing to help prepare food or buy food or donate money towards the food, um, we're doing hamburgers, hot dogs, and shredded chicken sandwiches for the first three nights this week. So we still need meat product and buns for those items. Yep. And so, and if you're unable because you have work, or you have school, or something like that, and you can only come certain nights, then plug in on those nights because uh, help don't sign up no and helper. you show up. I'll give you something to do. There you go. <laughs> but preferably, we know in advance. It's easier that way. Okay. All right. Well, let's pray together, and then we'll talk again at the inspirational moment about the kind of exciting stuff that's going on. Father in heaven, we do praise you. We have to say, Lord, you are awesome. You are magnificent. You are glorious, and you deserve all glory. You deserve all praise. It ought to be that every human being recognizes that you are God, that you have done amazing things, that you created all this, set it in motion, and been governing it ever since. But the reality is, on the earth, the only life that doesn't for sure always praise you is human. Because some folks want to be their own God. They want to find some other God. There are no other gods. No other gods. There's nothing else that can do for us what you can do. Not money, and people chase after money. Not sex, and people chase after sex. Not drugs, and people chase after drugs. Not employment, and people chase after that. Not hobbies, and people chase after those things. Lord, nothing, no one and nothing can do what you can do, and we give you all glory. And we confess to you, Lord, our weakness. For we have failed in some ways to deliver this message into a lost and dying world. But boy, are we trying. And we just ask you, Lord, to pour in and do the things that, that we've seen that you want us to do. We believe that they are authorized by you. We pray for the block parties. We pray for Vacation Bible School. We pray that the gospel would get out. The young people and their parents would get saved. Lord, I pray for the stack of papers in, that are in my bag right now, the prospects from our recent block parties. And a lot of them, Lord, got, got an email about 10 minutes ago from us. And I pray, Lord, that they would read it. And I pray that they would get our texts and our encouraging phone calls and that they would receive our visits, and that we would reach out to them and say, come be the church with us. Come stand for Jesus with us. Lord, I know some of them may already be in church, and we're not trying to win them away from a healthy relationship with their local church. So if they are where they are, and they really are there, and they're serving you, let them stay. And Lord, just let the churches of Toledo rise up during this time and be the pillar of truth, and the deliverer of light, our light and your light, more important than your light through us and in us, Lord, that we might reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, some of us are hurting. Some of us are in pain. Some of us are facing difficulties. And it's easy to put one's eyes on what we're going through as we're going through it. And uh, Lord, I just pray that before we leave this place today, we would be governed only by you. Directed only by you. Only you are important to us. We ask healing for Nicole, for others who are sick. Thank you for... Um, Aaron, I wanted to call him Bubba there for a second, but thank you for Aaron and Caitlin getting over their sickness so quickly. And uh, Lord, it was a bit of a trial, but awesome. Awesome that we've seen our people conquer illness time and time again. Not that we ever want to be sick, but we overcome. And then we come back in the fight. And Lord, and we're even in the fight while we're sick, which is pretty powerfully amazing. Lord, I pray for the initiatives that have begun, that they would all be of you, and reach people for you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, to stand with us and sing, and then children be warned, your song is next. Two seconds ago. Come on, <laughs> up front, let's go. 
Children to the front. Sure, I can. We have enough
Okay, before we do anything else, I want to talk to you briefly about Right Now Media. So Art, if you bring that window up for us, he's going to put it on the screen. Okay, so what you see on the screen before you is the homepage of Right Now Media. That's actually the kind of like popular and whatever, so you can go straight down if you want to scroll down. These are all Bible studies. They're all video and audio Bible studies on every topic that you could possibly want to study on. Uh, there are uh, over 20,000 Bible studies available. Uh, they are all mainline evangelical Bible studies. They, if we find anything, there will be few in numbers. If we find anything, we can blank out anything that we don't like. So if you find me, you listen and go, oh, I don't think that was quite doctrinally correct. Something's off about that, then you let me know, and we can blank it out and not have it on the site anymore. All right? So this is Bible studies. Now if you click on kids for me up there on the top. And this is the kids section. There are 2,500 different kids series on here. And they're all biblical. Uh, you probably, some of these names you even recognize. Obviously, the VeggieTales is on there. Uh, Adventures in Odyssey, which goes all the way, goes through the Bible, and the kids travel back to Bible times and all kinds of stuff. Molly could t- or Ariana could tell you a lot better than I could uh, what all is on there. And it scrolls both directions, and these are all the most co- popular ones here. Um, so, what, what's happened is New Heights, our church, Life Station, and Right Now Media have partnered to give us a year of this service for free. So you're going to get, if I had your email address, you're going to get an email, and all you do is go in and sign up and put your username and password in, then you can use this service and watch any of the Bible studies or any of the kids' shows, right? Now, ideally, the kids, and you can talk this over with Aaron or with uh, Sherry as opportunity permits, but ideally the kids would have their own login. Because one of the coolest features of this, there's two really cool features, one of the coolest features of this is the fact that you can, uh, your teacher can assign you a video to watch, and then you can go in and watch the video, and then you can, it'll have questions afterwards that you can answer, and then your teacher will have access to your questions. So let's say they're doing a lesson in, in class on Joshua, the walls of Jericho or whatever, and the teacher can go in here, find a video, kids video story that tells the story of Joshua and Jericho, Joshua and the walls of Jericho, in advance, assign it to the kids the week before, then they watch the video, answer questions on it, and they come to class and they've already watched the video. Right? Or you can do it reverse. So you can have a lesson on Sunday, and then on that afternoon he can assign the video, and then they can watch it that week and answer the questions about it. Right? And we can do the same thing with adults. And then the other really huge blessing is that this membership of the Right Now Media is doing and that the New Heights is doing is available to literally anyone who is looking in our direction in any way. So basically anyone you know, friends, families, it doesn't matter if they're in another church or whatever, you can give them a free Right Now, for a year, Right Now Media membership. Okay? And all they do is sign up with their username and password and then they can go in there, which means like this coming School year, when we go to September, you can give a free Right Now Media membership to every kid in your kid's class, and to their parents, and to your waitress the next time you go out to eat, and to your cashier at the grocery store, and anybody. Basically, you can just say to them, would you be interested in a free year subscription to Right Now Media, and then they can have that free subscription. So if you witness to somebody for sure, right? Now, if they sign up, then their information will pop up in there. And then if they later say, well, I'm struggling with, like, Miss Chris handles people on the phone all the time for the life station, 
She's looking forward to this. If they say, well, I'm struggling with my finances. <coughs> you may have heard of Dave Ramsey, who does Money Matters and has a huge financial training and stuff that he does. His videos are in that section on adult Bible study. So it, that normally is a $1,200 seminar that people go to, and it's like four or five days in a row, eight to four. It's all, it's all on there for free. So you talk to anybody that says, well, I'm having struggles with finances or like that. And you say, hey, would you like a free membership to Right Now Media for a year? And you can watch Dave Ramsey's Money Matters and learn how to do biblical managing your money. Right? So that's all available to us. And then she's going to be like, she's talking to somebody on the phone. She's talking about mourning. There's videos and Bible studies on there about mourning. Somebody who's having health concerns. Videos and Bible studies on there about working through health concerns. Okay? All of that is on there, and anytime you talk to anybody about anything at all, and they mention any trouble, any struggle, any question, anything that they have, you can find a Bible study on there and recommend it to them and say, here's your free membership, right? Plus, the teachers, people who are teaching in the church, and the leaders, so Brother Tony and myself, if he chooses to do so, will have access to their ability to send them those assignments, okay? And if you find yourself as a, a member of New Heights needing to be able to send somebody assignments, I can go in push the button for you, and you can say, I, then you'll be able to start sending assignments to somebody. And so you're witnessing with somebody back and forth, and they've mentioned they're having a few different kinds of problems, and you say, well, I'd like to, not only do I want to give them right now media and recommend videos, but I'd like to be able to send them an assignment to read this video, so all they have to do is go in and look. So when you log in, there's a page that says videos that someone sent you to watch. And you can accept the video, or you can decline the video. If you decline it, then it just disappears. But if you accept it, then you watch the video, fill out the questions, and get back to the person who assigned it to you. Okay? And my hope is that I'll be able to use it as a tool for discipleship with folks. If you have questions, or like I'll be able to recommend and say, hey, let me uh, assign a video. I'll, I'll, I'll talk you through this part of it, but let me assign a video for you to watch in Right Now Media. So that's, that's something that we can use as a discipleship tool. And it's going to be a huge outreach tool. Every time they log in, they will see our logo. So they're going to, you're going to have a login account, and it's going to say, who, what account are you logging in under? And because nobody else has Right Now Media in this area very much at all, you're going to, it's always going to be New Heights. It's going to say New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. And they're going to click on that, and then it's going to take them in there, and they're going to have access to the videos. On the, also on the left-hand side is our logo again. If they click on that logo, which we haven't started to do it yet, but we will, we'll recommend all kinds of, like, our favorite videos. We watch this, and we say, "Well, I watch this week. I watch such and such." We can go in there and recommend it. Put it on the New Heights screen if you liked it. If you know it was doctrinally correct, etc. Veggie Tales should go on there. Uh, Honestly, should go on there because those are two awesome. If you want your kids to know more about the Bible, obviously Veggie Tales is a little bit younger, and some kids, as soon as they start to get to be a tween or whatever, they kind of grow out of it. But you. Even so, there's a lot of biblical knowledge there, and same thing in Adventures and Odyssey. And there's one that we, Ariana and I just watched recently, six episodes called The Creators, and it's about kids who are making videos, movies, making movies, um, and you know, they get started because they're trying to make like videos for YouTube or whatever, like this is very modern, very up-to-date, it's not an animated series, and the kids are, they're working through something in life, and they say, well, let's make a movie about that, and then they have to look up a Bible verse that applies, and they make a movie about it. And the last two, they make are musicals, but the first four are not. And it had me laughing and crying at the same time, and look, and you know, the Lord was speaking to my heart. So that'll be on there. And so, accept it when it comes to your email. If you don't get it in your email, see me. I can add you. And if I didn't have your email, or if it didn't make, a, if I didn't get it to them by the cutoff, but I, uh, yes, uh, Friday afternoon, 
I sent 1,066 emails. That's how many prospects we have on our prospect list right now, 1,066. And the truth is, that's probably not everybody. It's, it's definitely not everybody because there's probably about three to 400 of them that we don't have emails for. And so the most recent prospects this week, what I hope to do is call them and say, hey, we can give you a free year membership for right now media if that's something you would use. If they have a smartphone, you can watch it on their phone, you can watch it on a tablet, or if you have a Roku or an Amazon like Prime Stick, Fire Stick, whatever they call it, any smart TV, any of that, right now media app is available on any of those, and you can watch it on any of those. We watch it on our TV at home, we watch it on our phones when we're out moving around. And again, ideally the kids will get their own sign-in, and Aaron or one of the, their teachers will walk them through how to do that. And, and Kids have email addresses. They may not know what it is, but for school, 99% of the time, they have them. So it's a, unless they're a preschooler, in which case you can easily sign them up. So it literally takes two minutes to get a Gmail email address. Um, we do it all the time. Life stage people come in and say, well, I don't have an email address, but I need one. And we'll help them in two minutes. They have an email address. So it's fine. And then they don't have to do anything else than send their membership to there. They never have to use that email again, necessarily. They free membership to Right Now Media. And then we'll revisit it, hopefully we get a lot of use out of it, and spread it wide. Um, and then you are free to, beginning today, you go out to dinner this afternoon, or you bump into somebody on the street, or tomorrow, to begin to invite people. And they already sent me a link. You don't even have to send them an email now. We have a link, which we will turn into a QR code, if somebody wants to do it that way. And we'll probably get cards made with, with that on there and say, you want a free year right now media? And then you can just leave it on your table. Here's a coupon for a free year right now media. And then they can click the QR code and sign up for it. Or you can give to everybody everywhere you go. Say, hey, here's a free year, here's a free year, here's a free year, free year, right? And the only thing that they restrict us from is pastors and teachers in other churches cannot use the videos in their sermons because they're not the ones sponsoring the membership. But we can so you'll get to see some cool videos and stuff like that at times, maybe in the sermon or in the classroom. The kids will probably use them pretty frequently, I would imagine. Okay? And they have a little stick in their classroom already. All right, so that's that's a free gift. doesn't cost you nothing. Also, just on a side note, in case anybody's concerned about it, right now media does not sell. It's an evangelical Christian operation. They do not sell anybody's email address. They do not plague them. So they, they got an email this morning. They'll get a reminder next week and the following week. And if they don't sign up, it's done. So if you don't sign up, it's done. You either have to go back and find the email or come back to me to get it regenerated. So my suggestion would be that you go ahead and accept it. They're not going to send you a bunch of emails like recommend. They don't, they don't do like Netflix does and say, oh, a new video just came up that might apply. They don't do that. And they don't sell the email list. because I've dealt with them for years. We, I had a membership with them for two years, 12 or 13 years ago, but the technology really wasn't there. Okay? And, and then now it's there. It's good. It's really good. Okay, so I encourage you to do that and share it around and say, hey, here's free membership. And we'll start, probably what we'll do is get cards made up that have just the QR code and, we'll, and the, like a coupon, basically, and you can give it to everybody. And I'd like to see, not, ten, not a thousand, but I'd like to see 10,000 people get a free membership right now media through us. And just think about it. They can go on their TV at home, on their Roku or their smart TV or whatever, and go in there and watch biblical kid shows or watch Bible studies about whatever for free and every time they do it they see the New Heights provided that service that's phenomenal great opportunity okay this is our inspirational moment time uh, we're we're talking about prayer as our uh, six-month emphasis 
I don't have anything to say about that right this second, but I do have someone in my sermon today about prayer. So have you seen something or something you need to share this week? Please. I've actually seen a couple things this week. Um, yesterday, we had someone rented our Black Friday wagon, and we went there and helped them because they had never done that before. Um, and a couple of things that stuck out to me, and I don't mean anything bad about them um, or about anyone, um, but it felt very impersonal to me. They did not share the gospel. They did not announce who they were or why they were doing it. It's not something that they did. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. They did a carnival for people to come and whatever. Um, but we do that. And um, when I was there, I made a couple of jokes about, I never haven't been to a walk in a long time that I wasn't in charge of, that I wasn't running around like crazy. Um, and God is speaking to me last night and this morning, to where I couldn't sleep, um, that he's just saying, that's the way he works. That's the way his... He calls us into these ministries, and it should. It should. We should feel something. We should feel bad or useless or some kind of negative feeling when we're not doing what it is that he has called us to do. And then when we are doing what it is that he's called us to do, like when I'm standing at a block party and there's work to be done, I'm barking orders at people, and I say that jokingly. I do sometimes do that, but I don't mean it that way. It's because God has called me to do this, and he's given me the passion, he's given me the skills, he's given me the strength, because I couldn't do half of what I do, or really any of what I do, without what he has given me to do these things to get these things done. And so pay attention when you're doing God's work and when you're not. You should feel a difference. You should be able to tell, yes, this is what God has called me to do. But if you're doing something that you think God has called you to do and you're not getting anything out of it, maybe you should rethink and pray and search your heart as to maybe you should be doing something different other than what you're currently doing. Yeah, I, um, so one lady talked to me about heaven and hell when I was there yesterday. Um, she didn't mention God or Jesus, but she did talk about she mentioned heaven and hell to me. She said heaven, she was carrying a cup around on a grabber, and she said um, hell is like everybody's got a six-foot stick with food on the end of it, and nobody can eat. And heaven is everybody's got a six-foot stick with food on the end of it, and they're feeding each other. And I thought, well, that's a pretty neat image. Yeah, but that's all she said. That was the end of it. So, uh, I, I think they were loving. They were kind. Uh, and I think you never you know, never uh, miss on that. But it did remind me very much of one of our early block parties where there was no gospel, no Jesus. No one didn't register anybody. It was, here's, here's your card. <laughs> we'll get it by. Well, it was pretty neat. They did. It. They put a lot, a lot of money and effort into it to be loving and kind, um, and that was pretty awesome. So, all right. Anybody else? Okay. RJ, would you want to pray for us then as we transition into uh, the tithes and offerings, and then go to the word here and there? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time together. Uh, thank you for everyone that's here, Lord. Uh, just I want to pray for everyone that we. Remember that the reason we're here is to serve you and glorify you, not to just glorify ourselves, God. Um, I also want to pray for the tithes and offering that the money gets used as you see fit to advance your kingdom and not for our own personal gain. Um, God, I just pray that everyone here remains safe, stays healthy, so we can keep doing the work that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
So last week I stood before you and I talked about holy hands upraised in praise and also in prayer and uh, how we need the blessings of God. And out of that I developed a strong conviction 
that we need to understand holy hands. And we talked about it very briefly in the um, sermon last week. And then I was studying the Lord kind of come around another way. I was looking at several different passages scriptures as a possibility for this week. And the Lord led me to a specific text and I started studying it very kind of intently. And I was reading some of the Greek and I was reading some commentaries on it once I kind of basically had an understanding like that. And I realized that um, as we've taught this text that we're going to read today over the years, we've done it a great disservice. And the reason, and I have done this as well, and the reason it is is because we tend to take it in pieces and we act like they are separate, distinct pieces. But overall, they have a message. And the overall message of all the pieces, once they're connected, is basically how to have holy hands. That's the answer to the question. And the Lord led me to the, I had the question, and I couldn't figure out the exact answer to the question, you know, in a neat way. And then the Lord led me to the passage, and then I realized that the reason I was having trouble is because I was looking at the pieces, which we commonly do in this passage. And then when I looked at the whole thing, I was like, oh, now I get it. That's the overall question. Okay, so first I'm going to give you uh, how to have holy hands uh, to lift up, whether it be in praise or in prayer. Uh, and so it is this. Uh, alms, which I'll explain what that word means, out of a heart filled with light by an eye made right. And so that is how a person has holy hands to lift up in prayer or in praise. Is It is alms out of a heart filled with light by an eye made right. Okay, And then we'll break that down as we go. So, as you see, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. Amen. I got a whistle and an amen. I'm going to say amen. Matthew chapter 6. Amen! See, I've got the the slight advantage of microphones around me and overly good-sized lungs from years of preaching. So, slight advantage there. It is Matthew 6, and here we go. Now, because it's the entire chapter, I cannot break down everything that might be in here. But my guess is, if you've been around a while, you've probably heard some sermons out of pieces of this, or you basically, maybe you know the Lord's Prayer, that kind of thing, you understand basically what it means, something like that. So some of the pieces are there. If not, you can study them individually in pieces and words on your own. But we're really looking for the overarching teaching of the entire chapter, and then out of that, we'll understand how to lift up holy hands, okay, how to have holy hands to lift up. So here we go. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, and this is the New American Standard. Your translation might be different in a couple of places. I'll try to point them out, but if not, you'll understand why, I think, okay? Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So one of the places that this text translates differently in different translations is in the very first phrase, where it talks about practicing your righteousness. So in the King James, it says alms, okay? And before we break that, we talk about what alms is, and we're going to read the next verse, all right? But he says, otherwise, if you do this, if you practice your righteousness or do alms before men to be noticed by them, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And that sounds like a problem to me. We don't want to not have a reward when we get to heaven. Verse 2 says, When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Okay, so there is the word. And the word that's in the first verse and the word that's in the second verse there are the same. 
They are a Greek word that basically means uh, acts of compassion or compassionateness, if you will. Okay? And so, if you want to say alms for practicing your righteousness, you can do that. And so that's what the King James chooses to do. It is the same word both times, the same Greek word both times. And so to translate it differently is kind of, kind of sketchy to say it's one thing in one place, one thing in another, because the word has a very simple meaning. It means acts of compassion or compassionateness. So the state of being a compassionate person. And so there it is. Verse 2 says, When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be honored by men. So people wanted to be known for doing good things. Now, there is a kind of a brush off or a problem here, kind of an offshoot of this that we got to kind of let go, and that is Jesus says, let your good works shine before men. Right? He does say that elsewhere. In fact, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, which is this is from the Sermon on the Mount. It says, do, he says, let people see your good works. So I say to you that this is not talking about not letting people see your good works, even though you might think, and it gets a little bit more specific. He says, truly I say to you, they have their re- reward in full. But you, when you give your alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will repay you. So it sounds like he's saying, make those works, works of righteousness secret. But there's two phrases in here that make it clear that that plus or elsewhere where he says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good, work, good works, right? And glorify your father in heaven at the day of his... Uh, of his appearing. And so we know that we're, the, the works themselves are not supposed to be unknown. They will have repercussions. They're, people are going to recognize the works for what they are. When people are hungry and you feed them, you, can't, you can do it in secret, kind of like maybe just deliver the money or the food without them knowing who. And now you're getting to kind of the point of what he's getting at, right? What he's talking about here is you're not, your motivation in doing them. You do these good works not so that you can be seen doing the good works, Right? If someone is going to be glorified, it's going to be God. So if, you're, if you do good works to, and they're seen, make sure God gets the glory. Right? Don't do the good works so that you, with the motivation of being seen yourself. They would blow the trumpet. And literally, they blew trumpets in front of great offerings or in front of great acts of compassion when they're about to distribute food, things like that. And they would be honored by men. People, oh, they're doing a great work. Right? We are not about that. That's not what we're about. We're not trying to get honored by men. If, if you do that, you then have your reward in full. It says, but when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So your, your right hand is your doing hand. It's your power hand. It's your strength. It's your authority, right? Your left hand is your helping hand. It's your backup man, right? So what he's saying is, go and do it, yes. Make it a priority. It's the first thing that you do, but don't think about it a lot underneath or after the fact. Don't... don't uh, undercut what it is by being concerned about the details with your other hand, all right? So you just do it, and don't think about it too much in that sense. So don't dwell on it. Don't mourn the loss of the resources. Don't become concerned with whether it's going to work or not, etc. The things that you do, those works of compassion you do in secret, your Father will see them, and He will repay you, verse 5. And when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites. So it seems like, right? and by the way, most Again, that could be a sermon, right? Through verse 4, could be a sermon. And a lot of people might do that. Then it says in 5, it says, and when you pray, so Jesus is continuing his discussion. It's all connected. 
And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. In other words, they want to be the one who's praying. They want to be seen praying in order to be seen by men. See their motivation? So that people will see them as holy men. They're very pious, right? Pious is that very aspect where people think you're holy. Truly, he says, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Again, they're going to get all they're going to get right here on earth by the prestige of being recognized. But you, when you pray, before I go any further, I want you to realize that you is a plural you. It's a y'all. Okay? But y'all, when y'all pray, right? And that's an actual thing in the Greek. There's the you and then there's y'all. Right? So, but you, when, you, when y'all pray, go into y'all's inner chamber. And when you have shut y'all's door, pray to y'all's father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will pray, will repay you. So God is going to know what you're praying, know that you're praying, see your faithfulness, right? And he'll repay accordingly. But again, if you do that in front of everybody else, and that's the only real time you do it, or, the, or you're doing it to be seen, then God is not going to reward you for prayer. So that whole idea of lifting up holy hands in prayer that we talked about last week, and we need the blessing. And we're blessing God by lifting up holy hands in praise and prayer. And we need the blessings of God. We want to bless God. We need his blessings. But you're not going to get any blessings. If you're doing it to be seen, you're not going to get any blessings. It's hypocrisy. So, this, so instead, go into the inner room. The inner room is the storage chamber. So I have a, a prayer closet at my house that I built. That's not necessarily the inner room of my house. Right? It, isn't, it is kind of an inner room because it has no windows. No one can see me. No one knows when I'm in there. Right? But the bottom line is, that's what he's saying. So you go into the storeroom, the center larder room, the room where it has no windows in your house, and go in there and pray. But remember, it's y'all. It's y'all's inner room. So it's not, it doesn't only specifically have to be a physical room. It's also something different. So we, we do our prayers on Sundays on Facebook uh, Live, and people can see that. That's not your prayers in your inner room. That's not our inner room. This is not our inner room, right? This is not our treasure chest. This is not our storehouse, right? This is not the room that, where people cannot see. So there better be other prayer. There, there should be prayer. And then he's going to give us a, an image of what that prayer should be like. And then God will reward us if there is other prayer. It says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. So we're not casting spells or trying to get God to do a certain thing. So we don't say it over and over again. That's a problem. And the reason he says that is because we're going to get the pattern prayer here in a minute. So he's going to give us the pattern prayer. And people memorize the pattern prayer. And then they say it over and over again. I say the Lord's Prayer to myself or in my head probably eight to ten times a day. Whenever I find myself waiting and I start to feel the impatient me creeping up, that's what I do, okay? But I have to realize that just saying those words over and over again, they have no power, right? We don't practice sorcery. We're not trying to get God to do what we want God to do. If God does something, he's going to do it for reasons that are mentioned in this text and because he's a good God is the bottom line. But he says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So if you pray over and over and over again for money, a hundred times a day for money, thinking God's going to finally give you money, you got a problem. There's something wrong with your prayer and with your understanding of prayer. Probably you're not lifting up holy hands to him at all. All right, so then he gives the pattern prayer. He said, and listen, remember this is y'all's prayer. I mean, it's us as a group. We pray this way, all right? Pray then in this way. Our Father, our Father, not my Father, 
Our Father, we're in unity. We agree He is our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy on the earth. God's name is holy. So right there you can cut all your OMGs out of your, your conversation. Right? God's name is holy. We do not take the Lord's name in vain. We use God's name as a holy thing. And we think of Him as holy. And He says, holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come. God's kingdom. God's kingdom is when God rules, and He does rule anyway, but people let Him rule. People give in to His rule. People surrender to His rule. People turn their hearts over to God. Then they are part of the kingdom of God. When they don't turn their hearts over to God, even if they pretend to, they are not part of the kingdom of God. You can sit here in this room professing the name of Jesus, saying you're following Jesus, but if you're not truly following Jesus, then you're not part of the kingdom of God. He says, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. God, we want what you want to have happen. That's what we want to happen. On earth as it is in heaven. So we want it to be here like it is there. In heaven, God's will is done. We want God's will to be done here. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice the phrasing there. It's important, even though you probably looked at it, glanced past it a hundred times or whatever. Give us this day our daily bread means we are trusting God for our daily sustenance today. That says something different than saving the finances from yesterday or fretting a morning, worrying about what's going to come in the future. We are praying, God, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. In other words, the things that we have done, and you know that sins, we all know that sins, the things we've done that we shouldn't have done, we're asking God for forgiveness, which is available through Jesus Christ, his son. It says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So someone has wronged you or owes you, the best thing you can in any way, shape, or form, best thing you can do would be forgive them. In fact, Jesus will later tell us it's really super important to do that. Verse 13 says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we don't, we don't want God to take us to places where we'll be tempted, but we want God to deliver us from evil. Notice that word there, from evil. In the Greek, it literally says, from the one evil. That's a, that's a noun that means... Evil is not an adjective, like evil man, evil woman, evil demon. Evil is a thing. It's one thing. It has a personality of a sense. So Satan is part of the one evil. Your sin, also part of the one evil. Your worry and regret, also part of the one evil. Right? When you say something that hurts a child, also part of the one evil. You over or under discipline your children, also part of the one evil. You are lazy and don't do the things that you know you're supposed to do, that's part of the one evil, okay? So we're asking God here as we pray this, not to lead us to a place where we'll be tempted, but to deliver us from the one evil. And then he says, and this is kind of in parentheses, but he says, for thine is the kingdom. God's is the kingdom, not ours, not anyone else's, not the president's, not the governor, not our bosses, not our money. God's is the kingdom, and God's is the power. God is the only one who can do it. We have lots of people who get into idol worship and they think something is important, right? It used to be they had little, like, statuettes to carry around in their pocket and then they would rub it and pray. Oh, please. Or ancestor worship. And it's still a really big thing in the Orient, right? Ancestor worship. My uncle, my aunt, who's gone on ahead praying to them or uh, saying chants or things like that to them. But God has all the power. He's the only one who can do anything. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. He is the one upon whom the light should be shined. Not us, but him. And, any, and as the song Higher uh, says, any light that's shined on us, we should then redirect to him. Right? Not me. Not, I can't do this. 
God does this. All right? So all the kingdom, the power, and the glory. For how long? Forever. And then the amen, you, by now I hope you know, and if you don't, I'm about to tell you, the amen means so let it be. We agree. We accept that that's the way it is, and we want it to be that way. We don't want the power. We don't want to rule the kingdom, right? And we, we do want to live forever, but we want to do that in God's kingdom. And we don't want the glory. We want the glory to go to God. Now, 14. For, Jesus says, because if you forgive men for their transgressions, the things they've done wrong to you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. So when you do wrong, you have no forgiveness if you are also unable to forgive somebody else who has wronged you. And that's a problem. And you say, but Jesus, the grace of Jesus, forgives all my sin. This is Jesus' speaking. Okay? Jesus is saying, if you do not forgive others, my dad will not forgive you. You say, but Jesus paid for my sins on the cross. I should be forgiven simply by the blood of Jesus. Yes. And therefore, in being forgiven by the blood of Jesus, you also should be as God is and willing to forgive others. That's what it is. And if you're not, then you are not as God is, which means the blood of Jesus on the cross does not cover you. Verse 16. And whenever you fast, so this is going without food or water, whatever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. So in other words, they intentionally would look down or look bad. They might not shave or put like ash on their forehead, right? Things like that to, to help people see that they're fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head. In other words, put a little oil on your head. Wash your face so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret, so that God knows you're fasting and nobody else does. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Again, you can get rewards from fasting by others knowing that you're fasting. Also, I will tell you a person first-hand personal experience, if others know you're fasting, it gets easier real fast, right? I have been invited out to lunch a dozen times while fasting, and every time declined, and felt in, like I wanted to say, I'm sorry, I can't, I'm fasting, but you're not really supposed to do that, right? So I'm saying, I'm sorry, I can't do it that day, and sometimes I take some heat for that, right? Or I've had people make me food and bring it to me while I'm fasting, and I can't eat it. But I can't say I'm fasting. It would make life so much easier if just everybody knew I'm fasting and nobody's tempting me. Right? Nobody's there uh, handing me whatever. You can't, but you're not really supposed to do that. Because then people go, oh, he's holy. He's fasting. He must know God better than I do. And it creates a stumbling block for the other person as they say, well, now you're doing what, what I can't do. Or I'm not good at fasting. And so, and so on. There's lots of reasons why. But there's a reward for you that you can get on earth by everyone knowing that you're fasting. And if you get that reward, you get no reward from God. But if you can do it without people knowing, then God will repay you, it says. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, because this is a continuation of the same thought, you, we now realize that he's not only talking about money. See, this is where the preachers start preaching when they start talking about giving, giving financially. Right? Don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What do thieves break in and steal? They steal money. So surely this is about money, right? But it's tied to what he was just saying. Basically, simply he's saying, don't get your rewards here 
Because here, there's all kinds of ways for those rewards to be taken away from you. You can save your money and not, maybe you tithe a little, but then don't do more, or you just tithe, you don't give sacrificially like the New Testament teaches, whatever. You can save your money and save it up and save it up and save it up, thinking you're going to be okay, but then the reality is something comes in and it's all gone. One day I was at the library right up here in Oregon. I witnessed to a guy who was sitting on a bench. He looked like he was a little down. I started talking to him about Jesus. He told me his story. He had retired at like 56 years old with $400,000 in the bank, and his home totally paid off. And then like six months later, he was diagnosed with cancer. Over the, the, remain, the next two and a half years, they took every penny that he had saved for his retirement. It was all gone. And he said, and then his wife left him. And then the house went into foreclosure. He lost his wife. He lost $400,000, and he lost his house, all because it was here on earth subject to his cancer, right? Now, you can, you can say, well, not, not me. I'm going to put my money in a trust, so they can't touch it if they're billing me for my cancer, but the trust will pay for the bills if I have to and so on. But the bottom line is, if you stop paying for treatments for your cancer, they stop delivering treatments, you die eventually. That's how that works, right? So there... On earth, there are ways, not just money, but there are ways. You go, I hang out with my friends, and I'm telling the jokes, right? And everybody likes me, and I'm, I'm, I'm up on a pedestal because I'm the guy always telling the jokes. I'm the funny guy. And then another guy comes and joins the group. And then now he's telling part of the jokes, and he's pretty funny, right? And now I'm sharing the limelight that I had because he was the funny guy just like me. And then pretty soon one day I'm having a I'm down, downswing or whatever, and I don't feel up to telling the jokes, and he tells jokes that day. Now he's the guy. And I'm not the guy. I'm just part of the crowd looking up to the guy. It doesn't matter what your rewards are here on the earth. You can be the guy that always shows up on time or five or ten minutes early. And people are like, I, I know he'll be there. He'll be early. I know he's the guy. He's the guy who will be there early. right? But then somewhere down the road, you wind up sick or hurt, psychologically frustrated or whatever, and you can't be that guy that day. And how many days do you have to not show up early to no longer be the guy that shows up early? Not very many. You can show up for 20, day, 20 years, 40 years, 15 minutes early to everything you ever do. And then just three times in a row, show up five minutes late, and they'll go, oh, he's always late. Right? Anything that you can have as a reward on the earth can be taken from you on the earth. Anything. There are people who live 25 years happily married. I just read about a guy the other day a Christian man who lived 25, 26 years, happily married, and found out his wife was having an affair. And their marriage is over. She doesn't want to reconcile. Anything you have on this earth, any rewards you have, anything that you have collected, your reputation, it's not just about money. You do not want to lay up for yourselves treasures upon, upon the earth of any kind. Now, does it mean you can't have anything good? No, it doesn't mean you can't have anything good. That's not what it means, right? Really, the problem is in the treasuring. That's the problem. When you designate something as a treasure and it's something of this lifetime, it can be taken away outside your control. Sherry and I would go on date nights for three, four years in a row and we'd go play golf all the time. Right now, Sherry can't play golf, right? And that's been taken from her. Why? Did she do something wrong? No. She didn't do anything wrong. But you, no matter what you treasure, whatever you like, you be careful because if you treasure it here on the earth, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves. Don't store up. Don't collect. Don't look at. Don't observe. Don't be concerned with treasures for yourself here on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And a thief doesn't even have to be a person. It can be an illness. It can be a bill. It can be a situation. It can be a harsh word, right? It can be Satan himself. 
You going to stop Satan for coming in and taking your finances or your health? Are you personally going to do that? No, God's going to do that. If anybody does it at all, God's going to do it. Okay? 20. But lay up, alternatively, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. I can hear the words of Paul saying to Timothy, I know in whom I have trusted and I know that which I have entrusted to him and that he is able to keep it unto that day. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now we see the problem. The real problem is not that thieves or moths or rust, right? That's not the real problem. The real problem is we're trying to have a holy heart. That's how you're going to get holy hands, right? This is all part of the equation. We've got to have a heart that is somewhere, that is pointed somewhere, pointed at something. And that something or someone or somewhere that is pointed at needs to be the throne of God. It needs to be heaven. It needs to be God himself. And if you have prestige or you have finances or you have health or you have strength or you have pride or you have honor or whatever, you have any of that on the earth and you treasure it, that's where your heart is going to be. Your heart is going to be pursuing after, ensuring that you don't lose or maybe being worried about or maybe regretting something you did cause you to lose it or whatever, that thing that you've treasured on the earth. And when it don't go right, believe me, it's really easy to get frustrated if your treasures are something that you can see, feel, hear, touch, whatever, on the earth, even if you only feel it emotionally or psychologically. We're living in a day where now out in the world, people can no longer say, it's just, it is what it is. It is what it is. And I can't, I'm just going to move on because it is what it is. But nobody, the fretting and the mourning goes on for years or decades. There was a time where if you lost a loved one close to yourself, they said it'd take two to three years, bless you, two to three years to basically be okay again. You'd mourn for two to three years. Now there are people mourning for two to three decades the loss of a loved one. And they're not okay. They're just not. Why? Because their, their emotions, their, seat of their, their heart, their seat of decision-making, their spiritual, was wrapped up in that person, and now that person's gone. They had a treasure on the earth, and they lost it. It was stolen from them. And that's where their heart went. And their heart is now broken or lost or tied to that event. Am I saying that's a bad person? No. What I'm saying is, don't do it. Not me. Jesus, don't store up. Don't let the things of this earth become important to you. Rather, make the things of heaven the things that are important. That's what Jesus said. And it's not just about money. It's so much about anything that we might treasure. And he goes on. He's not done. 22. The lamp of... Hold on. Yeah, 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. So right there, by the way, 1921, that's the text for a sermon. And lots of people have preached it. You can find outlines on SermonCentral.com right now to preach on those 19 to 21, 19, 20, and 21. And you can probably find 100 sermon outlines to preach on those verses, which I don't read them, by the way. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Okay, so he's saying this is how what's inside you gets right. Your eye has to be right. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's ignorance and wickedness and sin. It's part of the one evil. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness... How great is the darkness? So in other words, if your eye brings in the bad and not the good, then what's inside you is going to be very, very bad. 24. No one can serve two masters. Still, same speech, same talks, all connected. No one can serve two masters. You can't be divided. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's money. So in other words, if you're concerned about money and riches, then you're going to have a hard time serving God. And virtually, if you serve money, you cannot serve God. 
25, still the same speech. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about your life. As to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body, as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food in the body, than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they weep, nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not worth, are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? In other words, if you worry about making sure things are right in the future, can you actually add a cubit? That's 18 inches, by the way. That's just, just one cubit. It's from your elbow to the tip of your finger. If you're shorter, it's probably a little less than 18 inches. But that's a cubit. Can you add that to your life? No, you can't. You literally can't. You cannot make it better. The more you work or are concerned about the things that you're going to need in the future, the worse you will make it. It's not, it doesn't work the other way around. Okay? 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe now the lilies of the field grow. How the, I'm sorry, how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so? much more do so for you. In other words, is God not going to take care of you? Make sure you have these things that you need. Oh, man of little faith. Oh, men, plural, of little faith. Do not be anxious when saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. In other words, those who do not know God, they are, they're after all those things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So these are the things you really need. You need God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And all these things, everything else we've been talking about, shall be added to you. You could even say treasure in the form of honor and like that, as long as it doesn't become your treasure. You may be honored on the earth. You may be lifted up. You may be put on a pedestal by somebody. You redirect the light to God, but the bottom line is all of those things might be added to you. Everything from what am I going to eat, what am I going to wear, what am I going to pay my bills with, to my honor, my prestige, my mental state. 34, therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what Jesus is saying is deal with what's in front of you right now, which brings us back around to the concept of alms, right? How to have holy hands to lift up? Alms out of a heart filled with light by an eye made right. First of all, this text calls us to have a single eye, like a cyclops. A cyclops was an, an ancient fable giant man who had just one eye, right? We're supposed to have a single eye. That eye, then, is going to be determined by view, focus, and nature. First of all, view is, what do you see? If you're going to have a single eye, it's going to be directed at a single target. And I don't mean you're always going to be looking at the throne of God. Stephen looked up as he was about to be stoned, and he saw the throne of God, and Jesus stands there, and then, and then they killed him, right? I'm not saying keep your eyes on the throne. All right? This is not about keeping your eyes on the Savior, right? Although you should. Right? When you take your eyes off the shepherd, you're going to turn your eyes to the other sheep and you're going to start to get frustrated. I did the same thing. We're frustrated. Why aren't they like that? Why, don't, why didn't this happen? Why aren't people doing what they're supposed to do? And so on. So we should keep our eyes on the Savior. The bottom line is, is a single eye in the view, in the direction that you're supposed to be going. Okay? What it is that God wants from you. Who it is that God is. God's word. God's teaching. God's plan. Right? One eye viewing that which God would have us to do. Secondly, it's about focus. 
No false gods. No other things that become important like God. Right? So there are going to come into your vision. You're going to be looking at what God wants you to do. And as if you had somehow the mystical ability to detect them, you look at a scene and look around the room, and there's one, and there's one, and there's one, and there's one. In this room, there are several false gods. Right now, in this room, there are several false gods. Our cell phones are here. The cell phone is a false god. If you're playing a video game, you're watching a video, you're on uh, TikTok or Reels watching somebody do a dance or somebody make a fantastic sports play or whatever, when you should be focused on God, you are being lured away by a false god. It's a very real thing. If you're doing your work and you're working for your employer and they're paying you to be there and you're talking to your friend, your brother, your sister, whatever, on the phone while you're on the clock and you're supposed to be working, right? You're being lured away from what you're supposed to be doing by a false god. Okay? It happens. Money. Everybody's got a little money in their pocket or a credit card or whatever. Money is a false god. If you have enough money, your bills will be paid. If you don't have enough money, your bills will not be paid. That is the lie of the false god mammon to make you pursue money. So you're going to pursue money, of which Paul wrote to Timothy, the pursuit of money or the love of money is the root of all evil. If a false god, by the way, got to pay for a cell phone and cell phone service and the sports, uh, so you can watch all the games live and the streaming service so you can read your books or watch your movies and all that, right? It's all money. It takes money, right? So the pursuit of that money to be able to do that is the root of all evil. Not money itself, but the pursuit of that money. Once you treasure it, you treasure the money for what the money can do. Now it's going to lead you to do into evil. False gods. They're in this room. They're everywhere. Everywhere you look, they're there. So you're going to see them, right? But what you have to do is focus on what's important. Focus on Jesus' work on the earth, advancing the kingdom. That's what the Lord's Prayer was all about. Focus on forgiveness. Focus on mercy. Focus on works of kindness and compassion. Cancel your streaming services and use the money to pay for somebody to get food. Cancel your next outing and go and look for somebody that you can love on and buy them a gift instead. That'll get, help you to get control and focus on the things that are of value and are importance. You say, but I happen to be somebody who's in a position where I have, God has blessed me with more money and I'm tithing. Why should I have to do more? The New Testament standard is not about tithing. The New Testament standard is tithing plus. It's sacrificial giving. It should be way beyond that, right? People are giving to stuff they believe in all the time. God's people giving to the kingdom money, that's a, a no-brainer. But it's not just money. It's what do you treasure, right? What's big to you? What's important to you? Do you treasure your family? Give your family to the kingdom of God. Do you treasure your car? Put your car in the service of the kingdom of God. Until you do that, you are not a faithful servant to own it because you have lost your focus. Your focus is not on doing what it is that God would have you to do with what it is that God has blessed you with. Rather, your focus is on dealing with the false gods. Now, be careful because it reverses too. If you spend your time dealing with the false gods, you spend your time fighting to get control and make sure that the false gods are not getting control of you, you're also not focused on what God would have you to do. So I wrote a book that says um, putting money in its place. The idea, you want to deal with money? Here's what you do. Give sacrificially and then line the money up so that the bills are paid behind your back. You don't even know what's going on. That's what you do. That's how you get rid of That's how you take care of it. A spending plan is designed to take care of it. It's taken care of. Now you can do what it is you're supposed to be doing. 
Now, I don't mean to be getting to talking about money because it isn't about money. It's about all things you treasure. The words of your friends, your friends, your kids, your health, everything you do. Right? And all of it can get to doctors. Doctors can be false gods. Right? I went to the doctor with the problem with my sinuses. I'm having allergy issues. While I was there, the doctor said, well, we need you to take this pill. It's going to deal with your migraines for 60 days. I want you to take this pill. It's going to deal with your migraines for 60 days. And then after that, hopefully you won't have to take it anymore. So I'm reading it. It's an antidepressant. I'm like, well, this is an antidepressant on top of migraine medicine. I was like, I don't, I don't want to take this. Right? It's going to affect my psychology. And, and he goes, well, you need to do this. And he's got his little assistant with him there. He said, you need to do this. And this is why you need to do it. And he started arguing with me why I need to do it. And I said, well, I don't want to do it. I don't think God wants me to do it. So then he said, well, we're not, we're not trying to make you do anything you don't want to do. And he backs down and he starts explaining to why, you know, the, the patient is really the person in charge of their medical care and everything like that. Okay. You focus on God. Now, will you have to take medicine in your lifetime? Almost definitely. Will you have to have surgeries? Maybe very likely. Should you not avail yourself of the things that God has put in place for you to get the help that you need? Absolutely you should. And what do you do while you're doing it? Don't focus on it. Don't treasure it. Don't let it become a guide or a leader in your life. Don't let your doctor tell you when you're well. Let God tell you when you're well. And that's the problem. Everywhere you look, there are things that can become false gods. Relationships, right? We hook up with a guy or a girl who doesn't follow the Lord. They're not all about God, right? They, they say they're a Christian, but they're not all about God. Well, it's all right. I'm going to lead them closer to God, right? But the whole time, you're doing one of two things. Either you're representing God to them to try to lead them closer to God, or you're trying to deal with... your busy putting out fires and dealing with the fact that they're not close to God. Either way, is that focusing on God? Is that walking the path that God would have to walk? The answer is no. Everything in the world can become a treasure and everything in the world can become a false God. And we must focus on no false gods. Focus on God and the things of God and doing the works of God. And then while you're focusing on God and doing the things of God, the last thing is he says you must have a good eye. You must have a good eye. Now, the good eye begins with getting saved. You first have to commit all that you are to the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus will birth you again. But then it gets trained, right? You know, when babies are born, when they're first born, they really can't see. At best, they can see lights, like patterns, lights, and dark. And then eventually they can see blobs of light moving around, and then they can start to see some colors, and then they can really start recognizing. And then through the vision, that baby, as it's being breastfed by its mother or, or being bottle-fed, if that's how it's done, but they're looking at the face of their mother, there's a, a hormone that's activated in their brain, and they know that their mother's their mother without anybody ever teaching them that, right? Because their eyes learn to see. When you learn to see what, who God is, what God's about, you will have a good eye. You will have no divisions in who you are. That's what it's talking about in Romans 12 where it says you can eventually test and approve what is the good and faithful will of God. Right? Because you've got to get a good eye. When you're first born as a Christian, you can hardly see. Then eventually you can kind of see a little more clearly. You start to realize that's not good. This is good. That's dark. That's light. And you gravitate toward the good things in life. If you're following the Lord faithfully, you begin to learn. And... Sometimes you're in the middle of the thick of it, in the dark, barely able to deal with what you're focused on. A false God has been looming in your life, and God will say, hey, wake up. You just did it right now. You just walked that path. I just did this myself in the last two weeks. Because I'm reading this report that came out from Southern Baptists that they, that they commissioned, and I told to share this morning. I said, I just realized that as I'm reading this report, they are putting stuff in my head that I never even wanted to know. 
And they're all like, don't comment on it. You've got to know how to guide and direct your church and your ministry and everything. You've got to read it. You've got to read it. It's a 288-page report with 100 pages of stuff I never wanted to know. I would never think about. I don't even want to think about, right? I don't watch any of that stuff, and I don't read any books like that. And it's described in this report. I'm like, I don't want to know this, but now I know it. And this morning I'm praying, and it was popping in my head. And that's what's going to happen to you. There's going to be a moment at which you lost your focus. You began to let a, a, a false god loom large or an earthly treasure become important to you. And you're going to realize that. And you go, whoa, wait a minute. That's got to go. And you solve that problem the same way you got saved. Which is you repent and you turn and put your eye where it belongs. And in that same look, there's still going to be other false gods. You go, that's not, nope, not that, that's not for me. I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to treasure that. I'm not going to get wrapped up in that, not on the earth. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep navigating the path, finding my way to God alone. With an eye that's not wandering, with an eye that has no false gods, and with an eye that is not divided, it is just good. And that's how you open yourself to the light that our God brings into your life. Right? That's what it says. And if you have a good eye, there will be light. And if you have a bad eye, there will be darkness. Jesus said it, not me. Secondly, notice that the goal then to be able to produce the the, um, holy hands is a heart full of light. So the alms, the works of God, which we'll talk about in a moment, come from a heart filled with light by an eye made right. We just talked about an eye made right. You now know what that is. A heart full of light. Light is Jesus Christ, first of all. If you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't be surprised when you find dark thoughts in your heart, right? And there will still be some remaining a lot of times from before when we were not Christians. Jesus will come in and we'll be like, but I used to do this and I used to do that. I remember when I did this, it hurt me. As a young Christian, and it, it rarely happens now, I don't think it's happened in the last couple of years, but I used to have traumatic flashbacks of things that I had said and done before I got saved. People that I hurt, people that I said things to, events that I went through, tragedies that were perpetrated on me, right? And I would have traumatic flashbacks, and eventually the Lord healed me. For 15, 10, 15 years after I was a Christian, I could still see one, one image in particular, but some of the pornography that I was involved in with a, as a young teenager, 12, 13, 14 years old, 11 to 14 years old. And I, until I was in my 30s, If I thought about it, I could still see one image in particular, but several others possible. When a false god takes up residence and puts darkness in your heart, when the evil begins to loom, it'll be there. And you try to get rid of it, the way to get rid of it is to focus on God. And ultimately, that I said that one day I was driving down the road, and I said, Lord, I I cannot have this image in my head anymore. I prayed to God. I said, God, I cannot have this image in my head anymore. I'm asking you, Lord, do away with it. Do away with it. And that day, he did away with it. And now I cannot see any of the images of what I looked at that I could see for 15 years. I can't see them anymore. And there's one page in particular that remained the longest. I can see, in my mind's eye right now, I can see the cloth and oranges on the outside edge of the page. But the stuff in the middle, which was where the naked woman was, is gone. Idols, stuff that you allow, that you treasure on the earth, that's what they'll do. They'll hook into your heart and into your mind. And they're stuck there. They're there for so long, decades even. Don't do it. Don't put yourself through that misery. Submit your life to Jesus Christ. Give Him your heart. Let Him make you born again. We are all sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus is volunteering for the job. And say, Jesus, you be Lord of my life. Jesus, you cleanse my insides. Jesus, you rebirth me and be my Lord. But the light is also wisdom. 
Jesus said, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. It's wisdom. God's wisdom. Not just the word of God, but wisdom. It's the application of the word of God. We figure out what does it say, what does it mean, what am I supposed to do about it? We do it. We see what happened. We learn. We learn and grow. As we were babies and now we're growing up to be mature Christians, we learn and grow as we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that wisdom takes up residence in us. But it's clearly also compassion. A heart of compassion is the heart of Christ, that he would pray for those who were crucifying him and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. A heart of compassion should be in you. If you don't care that there are people in our city being sold into sex trafficking every single day of every calendar year, if that does not affect you, you should ask yourself, why am I not affected by the fact that a 10-year-old girl could be taken off the street, groomed by a sex fiend, and then used 30, 40 times a day to have sex with men that she does not know, and she's kept hopped up on drugs the whole time? And you're like, well, that doesn't happen, does it? Yeah, that happens all over the world. And Toledo's in the top 10 in the United States of America that that happens. Most of the girls are not trafficked here because there's not enough people. They're trafficked in Florida or elsewhere. A heart of compassion. If you don't care that there are people calling the life station on a regular basis or calling the church phone or showing up at our pantry saying they would not have food to eat today if they don't get food from a pantry, if that does not bother you, you don't have a heart of compassion the way Jesus does. Jesus' heart is breaking over the fact that there are people who do not have food, over there are people who do not have clothing, they do not have safety of any kind. Jesus' heart is breaking, standing at the right hand of the Father, going, oh, please, God, wake them up, that they will have a heart of compassion. There's a song that says, I look at the world today and I'm asking God, God, why don't you send somebody? Why don't you send somebody, God, to do something about this thing that I see that's so terrible in the world today? And you know what God says back in that song? Same thing he said to Isaiah, yeah, I send you. You're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are wrongs in the world. You do something about it. I'm not saying take up arms and go and fight. I'm saying you take steps and do compassionate works. And that compassion will blossom in you and it will fill your heart. I've had people come back to me after years and they say, you know, if you hadn't been there, if the Life Station or New Heights hadn't been there at that time, I might have committed suicide or I might have starved to death. Right? You said these right words to me at the moment at which I was suffering because my son died of, a ho- of an opioid overdose and I was barely alive, walking around absolutely numb. And you said these right words to me. And I'm still here today, 10 years later, because of what you did. I had a guy who, who comes to the life station to tell me that the letter that we wrote him when he was in jail, not a, not, he was a professing believer, but he wasn't a New Heights person and he wasn't at life station anymore. We hadn't heard from him in a couple years. We wrote him a letter in jail and he said that letter saved his life. One little work of compassion by you. One caring. One moment of of being a bleeding heart. One moment of wearing their suffering on your sleeve instead of your own suffering. That's what God has called us to We can make a huge difference. The light of Christ in our heart, the wisdom in our heart, and the compassion in our heart. And as you do things, you will be affected by the outcome. Then driven, that heart should be driven by your eye. The eye, then, that is not wandering, the eye that is not after false gods, treasuring things here on the earth that we shouldn't be treasuring, the the eye that is of no divisions, the good eye. Let your heart be driven by the good eye that God will give you. You say, I see this that needs to be done. 
I check with my friends and my family, and I call around and I say, anybody going to do that? Anybody already on top of that? Nope, nobody's on top of it. Okay, I'm going to make sure that gets done. I will put myself out. I, will be, I saw it. I'm the one who saw it. So I'm going to make sure it gets done. I'm going to seize the opportunity, a heart of compassion. The thing with Right Now Media, some people in the room are going, I don't, think, I don't know if we even need Right Now Media. Listen to me. There are lost people across the city of Toledo who have no church home. We have hundreds of people who said they need a church home. You know how many Southern Baptist churches are in the city of Toledo? Not enough that if they all came this coming Sunday, they would even be able to get a seat. That's how many churches there are. There are neighborhoods, whole vast neighborhoods, where if somebody wanted to go to a Southern Baptist church or even an evangelical church, a church where they're going to be told about God, they would have to walk five miles. So far, we need to do what needs to be done, that those people can hear the gospel, be trained in walking in the Lord. They can get that wisdom if they want it. They can be taught how to have a good eye, and they can begin to do their alms. And that brings us to the final point. Alms, this is how you get holy hands. Alms out of a heart filled with light by an eye made right. You now know what an eye made right is. No wandering, no false gods, no divisions. A good eye given by Jesus. You now know what a heart full of light is. It's a light filled with Christ, filled with wisdom, filled with compassion and driven by your eye. And out of that arises godly alms. Alms are works of compassions, works of compassionate souls. They are works. They, sometimes it's given money. More often than not, it's not. It's more often than not, not money. A lot of times it's prayers. I heard about what somebody's going through. I'm going to pray for them. Out of my compassionate heart, I am led to pray for that person consistently or intentionally. Private and corporate prayer. We pray our corporate prayers when we get together and somebody leads us in prayer and, most, and everybody just kind of waits until they're done. That is not corporate prayer. You should be praying when someone's leading us in prayer. In your head at least, if not also out loud. You should be praying, and you should pray the same words that they pray, but then as God leads you to pray something else, you pray whatever God leads you to pray. You start where they start, you end wherever God takes you, and we all say amen. That's corporate prayer. Y'all go in your inner room, and y'all pray, and y'all pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us from trespass. I got out of order. Bottom line is, all the times I say that, I try to say it out loud and I can't do it. But anyway, pray together, corporately, and then corporately, privately. Go to your homes. Go to your workplace. Sit in your car. Pray before you go to the grocery store. Pray everywhere all the time. And if you've got nothing else to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer. Then do works of compassion. See a need, step up and meet it. See a need, get out of yourself, out of your concerns, and your tre- put your treasures into it. Think about, hey, I've got this thing. I, li- I like spending time with my fa- I like spending time with my friends. I like doing my job. I like my money. I like my foods. I like what, go, oh, you know what? I'm going to give up Coca-Cola for 50 cents a day, or maybe $3 a day if you're a big Coke drinker, and go, and that'll give me 900 bucks at the end of the year that I can help somebody with and then do it. Find out what you treasure and then put your treasures into the kingdom of advance and God will repay you. That's what Jesus said. Alms, compassionate works, done for the Lord. Giving, give financially, give of your time, give of whatever you got. And then worship, praise, 
By the way, when we do these alms, we can lift holy hands because in the process we are getting holy hands out of a heart filled with light by an eye made right. Not for our gain, not for the world's gain do we do these things. We do not do them for help from God, right? You don't go, God, I I need your help. I know I need your help. And we ask God to help us and we think, well, if I do these things, these compassionate works, then I will get God's help. The only promise in the Bible, there are two of them, two promises in the Bible where God says specifically, if you do X, he'll do Y. One of them is honoring and obeying your parents. You honor and obey your parents, and it's lifelong command from the moment you are born to the moment you die. If you honor and obey your parents for your whole life, God will make your life long and prosperous in the land to which he sends you. That's a promise from the Ten Commandments. Jesus quoted it while his life says the first commandment with a promise. And then in Malachi chapter 3, it says, if you give tithes and offerings like you're supposed to, God will pour out blessings from heaven like he wants to. Test him in this, it says. Those two are the two that I'm familiar with. But here it says God will repay. He will repay your compassionate alms if they are done not for yourself, not for the gain of others, but for the Lord. Not to get his help, but for the Lord, for the kingdom of God. And then that brings us to the conclusion. There are two images on that laptop that I'm going to need in a moment. In fact, I'm going to need the first one right now. What you're going to see here is a pyramid. It comes from Wikimedia or something like that. But you can see a pyramid up on the screen when it gets there, and I'll describe it. This is Maslow's, Maslow's pyramid, uh, a hierarchy of needs. Okay? On the bottom, you'll see the physiological needs. So that's your food, that's your clothing, etc., And what Maslow basically hypothesized is that if those needs are not met, none of the other needs can really matter because you will literally starve to death in 40 days and you'll be dead. Or you'll die of exposure and you'll be dead, right? Or you'll die of thirst and you'll be dead, right? So they are the most important needs. They are breathing. If someone suffocates you, you'll be dead. Food, water, sex, sleep, homeostasis, excretion, the ability to sweat. These are the basic physiological needs of a human being, okay? And then it goes up from there. Safety, security of body, of employment, of resources, of morality, of the family, of health, of property. So you want to feel like those things are going to be okay. I want to know that I'm going to have my stuff taken care of, right? And those are actual practical needs. You don't want anybody knifing you in the street, right? You want to have a job, and you want to know that your job is going to be there tomorrow when you go to report, and so on. Then it goes up a little further. Friendship, family, sexual intimacy. So people need real relationships that go a little further than just, I'm here. Right? And then it goes a little further still. Self-esteem, confidence, achievement, respect of others, and respect by others. I submit to you that everything, everything that is on that green line and down can become a god, can become a treasure in your life. It's what I need. If I need it and I don't want to ever be without it, then I need it to the point that I'm going to treasure it. I'm going to make sure. Right? When your self-esteem is damaged, you become a vampire and suck the life out of everybody around you. And that's what happens. Right? And people pursue those things. If money's on the list, it's somewhere in the middle under safety. Right? But you can have a lot of esteem if you're making a lot of money. Get a few promotions, right? You get a few promotions without any additional money, you still are meeting your esteem need, though you're not necessarily meeting your safety need. Right? Then you get to the top of the of the pyramid. Scan up to the top right there. Morality, creativity, spontaneity, problem solving, a lack of prejudice, and acceptance of fact, self-actualization. When we are born again, we are born again there. That's where we're born again. Okay? You may not, at certain points and times in your life, feel safe where you are. 
You might actually be martyred for Christ, God forbid, but you might. You will not feel safe while you are doing that. You may feel safe in the hands of the Lord, safe that you're going to go to heaven, eternally safe, but your physical body will not feel safe. Your heart will be racing, your palms will be sweaty, your mouth will fill with cotton. You'll barely be able to say the name of Jesus. But when they say to you, you must say the name, you must despise the name of Jesus or otherwise I'm going to kill you, you'll, you'll croak out his name and say, no, love Jesus. And then they may kill you. And you will not feel safe while that's happening. But all the while, you will be morally correct. All your creativity, spontaneity, problem solving, all put on hold. You will say, Jesus and Jesus is my fact. And I know that. And you will go straight to heaven. Right? This is the hierarchy of needs. And you can find yourself in there anywhere at any time looking for what you're looking for, whatever it is. We can pray for the basics, right? He said, give us this day our daily bread. We can pray for all the things that are below the born-again state. You can say to God, God, I need this. Please give me this. I need it, right? But you're praying for a new fancy car or a bigger house. That's not on there. That's up higher. That's in the esteem area, right? You want to feel good about yourself. You don't feel like you have more than somebody else has, right? God is going to make you feel good about yourself, but he's not going to make you feel good about yourself through your worldly treasures or through false idols. He's going to make you feel good about yourself because you're being recreated in the image of Jesus. So when you're praying for things that will just add to your esteem, you're making a huge mistake. It's become an idol for you, right? So these are, these are the things that can be treasured, and they are the things that are needed, and they're in the order of basic up to more kind of like spiritual and psychological and like that. I submit to you that this whole chapter, everything that we have just read was Jesus teaching us how to deal with that through our eye. So we put an eye over top of all of that and let that eye fill up all that's below it. Right? Has anybody got a dollar? Got a dollar in your pocket? Tommy's going to put up an image for us that you'll find on the back of the American dollar. Since he has, I have one. You want to see my dollar? Anybody else have a dollar? Yeah. So this dollar has a symbol on the back of it. It's a pyramid. At the top of the pyramid is an all-seeing eye. Interesting, isn't it? Did you know that no one knows for sure why that's there? There are a whole bunch of theories as to why it's there. A whole bunch of them. So the, the all-seeing eye at the center of a pyramid was a symbol of the Illuminati a Bavarian group of businessmen who thought they were going to rule the world. They existed for less than 10 years. They infiltrated the Freemasons and other secret societies, and, and they thought, we're going to work behind the scenes and rule everything, and no one's going to know it's us. And they had all these cultic things that they did and blah, blah, blah. That's the, that's the Illuminati. But this is the all-seeing eye. This is over the pyramid. It's not in the pyramid, but some people still think that it was put there by the Illuminati, even though the Illuminati ceased to exist as an organization in 1785. But some people still think it has to do with that because they're, you know, conspiracy theorists or whatever. There are two sayings on, on this paper here. Anybody know what they mean? They're both Latin. I wrote them down, but... The top one, the, the more important one, says that our work is approved by God. That's what it says. Now I wonder who put that symbol on the American dollar. Now, before you say some government guy, it was the head of the, con the, the Confederate Congress before the Constitution was signed that actually recommended that the symbol be put there and that those Latin sayings were put on there. He's the one who recommended it. He was a Christian, by the way. The, the, the top saying says, our work is approved by God. 
if you can get one eye, one all-seeing eye, one focusing on God eye, one make God more important than your basic needs eye, one I will not follow false idols eye, one I will follow the Lord and the Lord alone eye. If you can get that, you can bring all of your needs under His control. And He will authorize your alms. He'll tell you what to do and you'll do it. Now this is what I'm left wondering. I'm wondering if anybody's done it. Have I done it? Have you done it? I submit to you that based on what Jesus says in this this chapter that we just read, if you haven't done it, if you have not put your eye, non-wandering, no false gods, no divisions, your good eye toward God and His kingdom. If you've not done, begun to do works of compassion, living in the light of Christ and with wisdom, driven by that one eye, if you haven't done that, maybe you're not saved. You say, well, how can you possibly say that? Well, see, what did Jesus say? He said, if you, if your eye is divided, if your eye's on money and you're about money, your treasures are on the earth, you may have money, but you'll have no reward from the Father who is in heaven. If you pray in front of others and do things in front of others to get honor and prestige, then you may have honor and prestige. It's very easy to do, really. Just go to work and work real hard for your boss and your boss gives you a little raise. Now you have honor and prestige, Right? And when your boss gives you that raise, don't say anything about Jesus. And you've done it. You worked for a raise, got the raise, and didn't say anything about Jesus. You've done it. And if you do that, you'll have no reward from your Father in Heaven. That's what it says. Well, no reward from your Father in Heaven sort of sounds a little bit like it's dangerously close anyway to not going to Heaven. What it is, is a contradiction. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you're going to go to heaven, and then what? Just stand there? (laughs) Receive no reward? I think we need to repent. And we need to turn our lives over to God. We need to stop letting those treasures and those idols that are everywhere. It's not that you can't have good things. In fact, we're talking almost all about things that we enjoy. It's okay to enjoy a little bit of money. It's okay to enjoy good food, it's okay to enjoy good companionship or hobbies or even to enjoy your cell phone. All these things, it says in Galatians, these things were given to us to enjoy, but they are not supposed to ever take the place of a treasure. And they should certainly never loom large in your sight. Ever. And if they do, then you can safely assume that your eye is focused in the wrong place. I submit to you, that it was God who put the pyramid on the dollar bill. And that's why to this day, no one really knows who did it or who, who, why it happened. He had a reason, the guy who recommended it, and they had a reason for listening to him. Everybody has a reason in the day that they live. But it's God who protected his Bible, cover to cover, for thousands of years. And it's God who put the pyramid on the dollar bill. And I, from now on, when you see the dollar bill, I want you to be reminded as you look at your dollar bill, or even if you don't use it, you use plastic, and you realize, hey, I spent a dollar. Every time you spend a dollar, I want you to be reminded on the back of that dollar is the saying that says, your works are approved by God. And ask, myself, ask yourself, is that true? Well, that's what God wants. 
He wants our works to be approved by Him. Works, alms, out of a heart filled with light, by an eye made right. And I'm asking you to make that commitment with me today and to begin to ask yourself, am I focusing on the wrong things? How do I focus on the things that are kingdom things? Study the Lord's Prayer. Spend time in prayer. And we will do it together, not physically together. You'll be at home at your house and I'll be at my house and everybody will be at their own houses and we'll all be praying with the same heart. Father, help us to have one eye. I ask the praise team to come forward and lead us in this closing hymn at this time. This is our hymn of decision. This is our moment of challenge. You should be asking yourself right now, does whatever was spoken today really speak to me? Was God challenging me as I have been praying? Uh, there's no room for concern or worry about the future and no room for regret or trouble over the past. You don't get to do that. You have to live today. You have to live today. You can't die and live at the same time. And regret over the past and worry over the future, those are death. Live today. Live large. With one eye. One heart filled with the light of Christ, wisdom, and compassionate works. We can raise our holy hands in praise and in prayer. And we'll know we have holy hands because now we know how to have holy hands. Would you stand with me as we sing this song? Let's sing together. Treasures laid at the feet of Jesus. That's what it's going to be like there, then.